Could you turn your Bibles, please, to Second Chronicles chapter 14. Second Chronicles chapter 14. Continuing my series in uh, the life of King Asa. I'll read verses uh, 1 to 8, 2 Chronicles 14, verses 1 to 8. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, and broke down the images and cut down the groves. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images. And the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest. And he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears, out of Judah, 300,000, and out of Benjamin, that bare shields and drew bows, 204 score thousand. All these were mighty men of valour. And we'll just see what the next exciting episode is after we've prayed and asked the Lord to bless. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to be in your house tonight. And we pray that, Lord, if there's uh, something that we need to receive from your Holy Spirit tonight, we pray that, Lord, uh, that he would have his way and do his work in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Now there is a certain, um, and I've just basically um, been told about this uh, not so long ago, about some people uh, who have this, this idea, a certain misconception. There's a certain misconception among some Christians that if I do what's right and I follow God's will, then life will be easy and I won't have too many problems. That's a misconception. Now, there is a, a certain truth to this, as the story of King Asa shows. Uh, because he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and because he removed the idols out of his kingdom, he experienced the rest, he experienced the peace of God for 10 years. Now, by that, as we just read, uh, the rest that he received, the rest of God, was, simply meant that he didn't have war for a whole decade. And that was something remarkable for ancient kings. But tonight we'll also learn from the life of King Asa that the enemy of our soul will always try to disturb our rest. And that's what we learned in Brother Steve's message in Job last week. Being righteous doesn't mean that we won't come under satanic attack if the Lord allows it. If the Lord allows Satan to have his way in our life, then, then uh, being righteous isn't a guarantee that that won't happen. And it seems that the Lord did allow Satan to attack Asa 
because after 10 years of rest, Asa had to face what I've called, or who I've called, Zerah the Terror. Zerah the Terror. <laughs> I want us to read firstly about the invasion in verse 9. And there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots and came unto Marishah. While Asa was building up his army and while he was building the walls around his cities, another leader in the far, in the far south was preparing to invade Judah. His name was Zerah the Ethiopian. Now, this is the only mention of Zerah in the Bible, and he is shrouded in mystery. When you try to, to find from commentators who Zerah was, uh, where he really came from, uh, everybody has a different point of view, so I'll give mine tonight. I'm in good company. The first thing I want us to do, look at about Zerah was, uh, I want us to just uh, to think, uh, to look at his identity. Who was Zerah the Ethiopian? Now, there are some who believe that Zerah was actually an Egyptian Pharaoh, who ruled Egypt during this, uh, the time of Asa's reign. But the army that Zerah led were clearly Ethiopians and not Egyptians. Have a look in verse 12. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown that they could not recover them. And so uh, the army that Zerah uh, uh, captained was an army of Ethiopians. And so um, we assume, therefore, that Zerah the Ethiopian uh, was also an Ethiopian and not an Egyptian. In fact, the Ethiopians had been allied with the Egyptians when Shishak, the pharaoh, had invaded Era during the time of Rehoboam. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles 12. 2 Chronicles 12. In verses 1 to 3. It came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots and threescore thousand horsemen. And the people were without number that came with him out of Egypt. Now they're the Egyptians. Also the Lubims, the Sukims, and the Ethiopians. And so here the Egyptians are distinguished from the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians were distinct from Egyptians. They still are today. You call an Egyptian an Ethiopian, he probably wouldn't appreciate it. And vice versa. So we can assume when the Bible says that Zerah was an Ethiopian... We can assume that he wasn't an Egyptian pharaoh. He was indeed an Ethiopian who led an Ethiopian army. Now, the word Ethiopian, the Hebrew word is the word Cushi, C-U-S-H-I, coming from the word Cush. And this shows us that these Egyptians were descendants of Cush. Cush was the son of Ham, the second oldest son of Noah. So there's Noah, there's Ham, and there are Cush. And these Egyptians were Cushites, if you like. Genesis tells us who the descendants of Cush were. And without us looking through all the scriptures, uh, 
There's a Hebrew scholars by the name of Kylan Dulich, and uh, they wrote this about the descendants of Cush. It said the descendants of Cush were the Ethiopians of the ancients, who not only dwelt in Africa, we, that's how we think of Ethiopians dwelling in Africa, but were scattered over the whole of southern Asia and originally in all probability settled in Arabia where the tribes that still remained mingled with Shemites and adopted the Shemitic language. Another commentator said this, Cush is traditionally considered the ancestors of the people of the land of Cush, an ancient territory that is believed to have been located on either side of the Red Sea. Now, if you were to look at a map of modern Ethiopia today, the Ethiopia today is in the northeast of Africa. But if you look on the map, the northern part of modern Ethiopia is just across the Red Sea from Arabia, or today it is, uh, that part of it is Yemen. And so uh, even modern Ethiopia uh, is close to Arabia. It's just across the Red Sea. And so this um, basically fits with the view that there was once a Kushite empire that was partly in Africa and partly in Arabia. Just turn with me to 2 Chronicles 21. 2 Chronicles 21 and verse 16. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against uh, Jehoram, the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians, there they are, the Arabians, the Arabs, that were near the Ethiopians. And so this supports the idea that there was a Cushite empire or a Cushite uh, uh, land, the land of Cush included not just uh, Africans, but also Arabians. And the Ethiopians of Second Chronicles, the Ethiopians that Zerah was uh, in command of, were basically a nation that extended north to the border of Egypt uh, and as far west to the border of Libya. In fact, we learn later in 2 Chronicles that included in Zerah's army were the Lubims. I quickly go over to 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 8. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 8, just the first part of the verse. 2 uh, Chronicles 16, verse 8. And it says, Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Now, the Lubims are the modern day Libyans. You can almost see Libya in the word Lubim. And so here we see that when Zerah attacked, uh, invaded, uh, tried to invade Judah, uh, there weren't just Egyptians in his army, but there were these uh, Ethiopians in his army, but there were these Libyans. Sarah was undoubtedly an Ethiopian who, who amassed a huge army of Ethiopians and Libyans. Now, the Bible doesn't refer to Sarah as a king. It doesn't call him King Sarah. He doesn't refer to him uh, as any kind of a ruler. Now, he may well have been a king. Uh, he may have well been uh, just a, a Cushite general. So when it comes to his identity, we could, I think, uh, conclude from, even if you don't understand what I've been talking about, that there was a Cushite nation, there was an Egyptian nation, and that Derat was uh, a Cushite as he was an Ethiopian 
leading an Ethiopian army. So that's his identity. But what about his army? What, will, what does the, our, our text say about that? So back to Second Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 9. We read this. And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand, thousand and three hundred chariots. Now, a thousand, thousand is a million. And, you know, this is the largest army that is recorded in the Bible. Uh, and now, if you were to read ancient history, you'll see that these numbers are not, they're not too fantastic. We know that when the Persians invaded Greece, they invaded Greece twice. And we know that on both of those occasions, they had over 500 to a million people that went from Persia all the way to invade Greece. So this was not an uncommon number to have in an army in ancient days. But Hezera um, came with an army of one million soldiers and 300 chariots. Now, perhaps news had spread uh, down to Ethiopia that Asa had built his army and the Ethiopians were concerned that, that he would invade them. And so they, they made a preemptive strike to stop Judah becoming too powerful. The news had come that Asa had this huge army. And so why don't we uh, make a preemptive strike in case he wants to attack us? Perhaps that's why Zera came with his army. Or perhaps like so many rulers in history, the Ethiopians were mad, mad on power. And they just simply wanted to extend the Kushite Empire. We're not told why Zerah came with his one million soldiers to invade Judah. All we're told is that he did, for whatever reason, whatever the purpose. News came to the palace in Judah that a huge Kushite army had turned up at Marishah. This meant that uh, the Ethiopians had already crossed the border between Philistia and Judah. And so they obviously came up through Philistia on the coast and uh, they had already crossed the border and they were camped at this Jewish Judean uh, uh, village or place called Marishah. Now because Asa had wisely built his army during that time of rest, he didn't you know, rest on his laurels, he didn't sit back and spend up all his money and, <laughs> and build you know, great palaces for himself and enjoy great riches, we know that during that time of rest that God gave him, he used that time wisely and he had built up his army and he'd reinforced his defences. And so when this invasion occurred, he was well prepared for such a day. So having seen the invasion by Zerah, we then read about the battle. Now I want us to see firstly in the battle, in respect of the battle, Asa's response, verse 10. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah, Zephathah, sorry, that's Zephathah, at Marishah. So uh, Zerah and his army were camped at Marishah, and Asa came down to this place called Zephathah, which was near Marishah, to meet Zerah's army. Now, according to verse 8, as I said, Asa had at his disposal... 300,000 soldiers from Judah, this would have been infantry, and 280,000 who drew bows from Benjamin. They were his archers, and so he had 480,000 soldiers at his disposal to meet Zerah's army. Now, verse 8 also tells us that all those who were in his army, 
All those who were in Asa's army were all mighty men of valour. Um, they weren't like Saul's scaredy cat army who headed for the hills when the Philistines come. Remember that story? As soon as they saw the herd, the Philistines had come. They all went uh, up into the mountains to hide or across the river to escape. This wasn't the uh, Asa's army. They were well prepared. They were all mighty men of valour. But still, Asa's army was outnumbered more than two to one. Each soldier would have to kill two <laughs> of the enemy to have a victory. But upon hearing the news of the invasion, Asa must have immediately went to meet the Ethiopians at Marishah. He didn't let the Ethiopians move any further into Judah. We only read that they came to Marishah, they camped there, and it seems as soon as Asa heard about that, he got his army together and he went down to meet them. He didn't want them to move further into his kingdom. We read here that he uh, set his army in array. Then Asa went out and set, they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah. He set his army in array in this valley and that gave him an advantage because a valley has a hill on here and a hill there and there's a valley in the middle and then uh, the army in the middle will set them, you know, spread themselves out in the valley. Now, if you have a smaller army, it's better to have a smaller valley uh, so that there's only a certain amount of men that can meet you in that valley. Now, you might be have more, have, if you've got a bigger army, you can have more recruits behind. But this gave, uh, this gave Asa's army an advantage to choose where they were going to have the battle. And he chose this valley, uh, and I believe it was an advantage to the smaller force. He lined his soldiers into rows. That's what it means in, to, in, to be put in array. And to, uh, they were set, the battle in array, and so the, his soldiers were set in rows in the valley to face Azera's army. Uh, and so the picture here then is, just uh, in those few words in that verse, the picture here is of the two armies facing off each other in the valley of Zephathah. Now, I'm sure that Zerah would have been very confident when he saw the size of Asa's army. Uh, he would have been confident because he had superior numbers. King Asa and the nation were under attack. And because of that, there were some wise things that Asa did. When you just simply read in that one verse, there were some wise things that Asa had to do to avoid defeat. This was his part in facing the crisis. He didn't wait. He didn't hold back, procrastinate. He immediately went to meet the enemy on the turf that he decided and he set his, his army in array against them. These were the decisions that he had to make and it seems that he made them wisely and quickly. He had to make some decisions to, to face this attack. And it's the same for us when we face satanic attack or face a threat on our life or on our peace. We are to respond wisely doing what we can to meet the attack. Now, I don't expect any of us are going to have to face a million soldiers <laughs> uh, baying for our blood. I hope you won't have to do that. But we will all have to face an attack in one area or another of our lives. It's just the way life is. And especially if you are living for the Lord, you know that the enemy wants to bring you down. We will all have to face some kind of attack or trial of our faith. 
It might be a health scare that has us concerned. It might be some criticism that's been hurtful. It might be a loss of income or loss of a job. Uh, it might be a loss of a friend or a family member. It might be some persecution that we're experiencing at work or at home. And like Osa, we might have been doing right and we might have been following the Lord. This thing hasn't happened to us because of any sin or neglect in our lives, just like it was for Job. But a Zerah, the terror, <laughs> has come into our lives to spoil our rest. We will all have to face some kind of trial like this sometime in our lives. And when that happens, it's best if we follow Ace's example and been walking with the Lord long before it happens. You see, when that army came against them, Ace had already prepared his army. He had built the walls around his city. He was prepared for this day. Imagine if he hadn't been doing that. Zerah and his army would have just walked right through Judah and taken everything they wanted. And when we have to face some terrible thing in our life, some circumstance or criticism or satanic attack, it's best if we've already followed Asa's example and been walking with the Lord long before it happens. You know, Zerotype attacks can expose a person's weak faith. If they think that they're doing all right, they're just sort of, just sort of doing enough, you know, to, to feel that they could get their conscience off their back. But when this, this trial hits, then you get, their faith is exposed for the weak weakness it is, the weaknesses that it has. Or they, uh, these sort of attacks can expose a carnal walk. You know, Asa was prepared for an invasion and so was his kingdom because he was in good spiritual condition before Zerah attacked. And this applies to us as well. So while we are enjoying the rest of God, let's prepare our hearts for any attack that may come. But Asa's actions, once he had learned of the invasion, are also a good example for us to follow. Once he'd heard that they were there, he acted. Instead of hiding away in fear, or instead of procrastinating, waiting for some sign from the Lord or whatever, forever else, he wisely mobilised his army to meet the threat. There were things that he had to do because he was the king. You know, most of the time when a trial hits us, there is some sensible or wise thing that we can do. And the Lord has given us a brain. He's given us wisdom. He's given us the principles of his word to know what that wise or sensible thing is to do. We shouldn't fear. We shouldn't be lazy. We must just do our part. God will have a part for us to do. It might be small. It might be large. But when that attack comes, we need to make sure that we do our part. That was Asa's response to the invasion. But he wasn't just counting what, on what he could do. Because finally, he wasn't counting on what he could do, but he was counting on the Lord. And so having seen Asa's response, we see Asa's rest in verse 11. This is a wonderful verse, one of the great verses of the Bible, I think, uh, what uh, we read here of Asa. So having done what he should as a king, setting his... His army in the battle in array in the, in the valley of Zephathah. And then we read in verse 11, Having done that, Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest in thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. 
Because his heart was right with the Lord, Asa experienced the rest of God. God gave him that peace for all those years. But he still had to follow God's word. He still had to eliminate the idols. He still had to, to live a godly life. But, but he, because he, he he'd done, had a, a heart for the Lord, the Lord gave him the rest of God. But here we read of his rest in God. He had the rest of God because of his walk, but now we read of his rest in God. We read here that Asa cried unto the Lord once his, his, his army was in battle array. And he, he acknowledged that the Lord could help with many. If he had a huge army, the Lord could help him. And, and he, he could probably quote how the Lord had helped the Israelites uh, through the wilderness uh, to get out of Egypt, he, how he helped them through that the time when they had a huge army before they entered the, the promised land. He knew that the Lord had helped the Israelites with, when they had a, a large number uh, in, their, in their army. He knew that the Lord could help them as he had before if they had lots of people fighting in the army. But he also knew that God would help those who had no power. Uh, just as he helped his great-great-grandfather David. He must have known that story. He must have asked his grandfather if he knew that story. Or his, his, his own father, did he, had he been to... This was his great-grandfather. And he'd faced that giant just as, a, just as a little lad. And he knew that God could help with many or God could help with few. The most important thing was that you did have God on your side. He knew that the only real way to win the victory was with God's help. And so that was his simple request. I, I don't know whether he has called this out before his army standing, and perhaps he was on his horse and he was standing there riding up and down, uh, praying this prayer before his soldiers, or whether he cried this out uh, in his own um, heart or in his own little group. I don't know the, how many people heard him say this, but he prayed this very simple prayer, help us, O Lord, our God. Help us, O Lord, our God. Now, I could think of dozen, a dozens of little prayers that he could have made. You know, he could be praying for the weather to be good for us <laughs> and, and not for them. He could have prayed that uh, their swords would find the enemy's flesh and their arrows would meet to find their marks. Uh, he could have prayed that, the, that all the men would stay in their battle lines and that none of them would fall out of order. He could have prayed that men would, his men wouldn't be afraid, but, but the enemy would falter. There are dozens of little prayers that he could have prayed because he, he was a wise uh, ruler. He was probably very, a very good soldier. There are all sorts of things that happen in a battle. He could have prayed a dozens of prayers, but he just prayed one simple prayer. He just prayed, oh Lord, help us. And that's all he needed to pray. Help us, O oh Lord our God, for we rest in thee. You know, sometimes our prayers can be like sermons, can't they? Our prayers can be like sermons, especially when we're praying in a group. We need to be very careful that we remember that we're talking to God and we're not praying a sermon to the people listening to our prayer. And, and, but more than often, the simpler the prayer, the better. You see, God knows our circumstances better than we do. But what he needs to know is what we want him to do. And here, standing before this million army, million men army, 300 chariots, Outnumbered two to one, well, 
King Asa prayed the most appropriate prayer. Oh Lord, our God, help us. You know, sometimes all we can do is pray like Asa. Help us, Lord. We are resting in thee. I'm sure that Asa knew he was severely outnumbered and he couldn't logically see how they could win. Perhaps he didn't know any other prayers to pray besides help us because it didn't look like they could possibly win. So having done his part, he did his part. He was there with his army set in array. He had not been, he hadn't procrastinated. He hadn't been lazy. He had done his part. He then called on the Lord to help him and to tell the Lord that we're resting in you. In fact, he made it clear that this was the Lord's battle. He told the Lord that they were going against this enemy in his name. Lord, we're going to meet this battle, these Ethiopians, in your name. He said, O Lord, that's Jehovah, thou art our God. Lord Jehovah, you are our God. Let not this, this man, that's Zerah, prevail against thee. This really is a battle between you and him. <laughs> so the, uh, Asa made it very clear who he was depending upon to get the victory and whose battle it really was. Now the Hebrew word for rest here, he says, uh, for we rest in thee. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee and in thy name we go. The Hebrew word for rest here is different from the rest in verse 6. That was referring to the rest of God. That was the peace and the quiet that God gave to Asa. That's the rest of God. But this a word, it's Hebrew word, it's a different word. And it means having a rest in God, having a, a trust, if you like, in God. We find this verse, this word, in Hebrew, uh, 2 Chronicles 13. If you just go back one chapter, 2 Chronicles 13, verse 18. We find this word used there. Verse 18 says, And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took cities from him. Oh, sorry, that's verse 19. Verse 18, Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. That word relied is exactly the same Hebrew word as the rest in, uh, in chapter 14, verse 11. Uh, when Asa rested, said he rested on the Lord, he was saying that they were relying on the Lord for their victory. They were relying on the Lord in the coming battle. They were relying on the Lord to give them the victory over Zerah and his army. And because they did rely on the Lord, because they rested in the Lord, the Lord gave them an unlikely victory. So let's have a look. Go back there, chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. We read, so the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar. And the Ethiopians were overthrown that they could not recover themselves. For they were destroyed before the Lord and before the, his host. And they carried away very much spoil. And they smote all the cities round about Gerar. For the fear of the Lord came upon them. And they spoiled all the cities. For there was exceeding much spoil in them. They smote also the tents of cattle and carried away sheep and camels in abundance. And returned to Jerusalem. Now here we read that the Lord smote the Egyptians and the Egyptian, sorry, the Ethiopians, and the Ethiopians 
fled. But I'm sure it says the Lord smote the Egyptians, but I'm also sure that Asa's men also had to do a lot of smiting. And so those men at the front who had spears or had swords, they would have to smite their enemies. There would be a lot of bloodshed to get that victory. Sure, it was the Lord would give them the victory. The Lord would um, basically be the one who'd see the Egyptian army running, but the, the Israelites or the people of Judah, soldiers of Judah, had to do their part. They would have to wet their blades with Cushite blood. And then as the Egyptians, uh, the Ethiopians fled uh, right to the Philistine border, that was some, some ways away. That was kilometres and kilometres away. They, the, the, the soldiers of Judah, uh, they pursued after the Ethiopian army uh, and there would have been more exhausting efforts. So they would have had to, to defeat them in the battle there in the valley. And then as they fled, they had to chase after them. There was fighting, uh, there was bloodshed, there was lots of exhausting effort. And this reminds us that when the Lord gives us a victory, it usually means that he uses us as his instruments. Uh, when the Lord gives us a, a victory, it doesn't mean that we just sit back and we don't do anything. The Lord's just going to do it all. No, he uses us to get the victory. We have to wet our base. We have to wet our swords. We have to put in the effort and the Lord will bless us for that and we'll give him the glory. Asa's army pursued the enemies and took great spoil. And it was a testament to, to Asa's trust in the Lord. This really was why they got the victory, because king, the, the people of Judah got the victory because their king trusted in the Lord. He was leaning, resting in the Lord. Now for us, the victory that we get might not be physical. We might not get spoil. But our victory might be spiritual, a spiritual victory over whatever it is that is attacking us or troubling us. We might not come away with great spoil, but by resting in the Lord, we might experience the rest of the Lord throughout the attack. And so some people might see us going through this terrible trial. Some people might see that we are being attacked, but that we have this peace about us. Well, that's the peace of God because we're resting in God through that trial. So sometimes the victory is just a spiritual one and that's enough in itself. So Asa's response and Asa's rest are an example to us of how to respond when Zerah the terror invades our lives. But to finish I want us to go to just one more verse, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, a well-known verse because uh, this is a verse that really is, uh, focuses on exactly the same application. Proverbs 3, you probably quoted Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. But in case I just get anything wrong, I'll, I'll read them to you. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That word lean is exactly the same Hebrew word as wet or rely. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and Rely not, rest not upon your own understanding. Trust the Lord, not your own understanding. In all your ways, like Asa did, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths and he might even allow you to have a victory over Zerah the terror. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for this good example that King Asa has set for us. Our Lord,
throughout his good years. He didn't waste them. He, Lord, uh, he used them to build up his nation and to prepare them for any trouble that might come. We thank you, Lord, that he responded by doing the sensible thing, by fulfilling his part. And, uh, Father, we thank you that that's something that we need to learn too when trials come our way. But we thank you for that greater example that he gave us, that, that we need to, Lord, uh, to not lean unto our own understanding, but we need to rest in thee and we need to trust you through the battle. We thank you for his example in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, could you turn your hymn books, please?